they think it's all over, but we've still got one or two more seats left to fill. Let's get started. And they are going to win! Pierre Gasly wins the Italian Grand Prix! Three cars going well to well as Perez is caught by Charles Leclerc and his three cars gone off. It's a DNF for MAX. The world championship record is equaled. Lewis Hamilton, seven-time champion of the world. Tom, your wonderful voice is back. It is back. It we missed is you back. last week. It it tried. It tried very much to feature in the last episode of F1 in Review, but uh, owing to Wi-Fi issues, I could only pre-record the uh, introduction and conclusion because I plainly couldn't hear you guys at all. No, I know. This is the problem when we live different parts of the country rely on a, an, an internet feed to be able to communicate mm. to each other in a convenient manner. An audible uh, manner would be good, but um, yes, that one time it decided... Not on a Tuesday, not on a Tuesday, but yes, I am back, and this time we actually have some racing to review. This was the first uh, Dutch Grand Prix in 35 years of the 21st century, which is pretty mad to actually say, uh, and they qualified Verstappen, Hamilton, Bottas, Pierre Gasly, and Leclerc, and they finished exactly the same. Do you think it's worth going back? Do you think that Max Verstappen won that race? Do you think that the two Mercedes behind him lost it? What are your views on the first Dutch Grand Prix of the 21st century. Yeah, so going into this week, I was thinking that it was going to be a quite an exciting race. And I don't think I was disappointed, mm. to be honest. Zandervoort was predicted to be a little bit difficult to overtake. And you know, to some extent, they weren't wrong. Although Alonso clearly didn't really have a problem with that, nor did Perez. Yeah, so there was clearly moments of 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 great uh, racecraft there. But really, for what captured the excitement for me was that battle of strategies between Red Bull and Mercedes, and it it was excellent. It was mm. it was a proper nail biting race, not because of accidents, but only because you had Hamilton bearing down on Verstappen. And Red Bull trying to outsmart Mercedes. I, I don't mm-hmm. necessarily think that Mercedes lost it so much as Verstappen was just so good there. And in fact, Hamilton yep. even said that Verstappen had had put it up a notch and um, was on another level. I think he said, mm-hmm. and that w- that was clear throughout the throughout the racing weekend. He knew his lines. He he'd actually been there before. The previous fastest lap there was a testing that. Um, Verstappen had done so. We wait. We were waiting for a couple of years for Zandervoort to, to hit hit our screens, and I don't think it's disappointed. I think, I think actually Mercedes did a good job to be able to secure second and third. Big shout out to Pierre Gasly in fourth, though. Yeah, wow, what time. a what wow. a what a you know what a race from him. But yeah, I, I don't think I don't think Mercedes lost out. I don't think it was ever theirs to win. Uh, it was always going to be perhaps a matter of whether or not Red Bull would lose it, if you'd like. But mm. they didn't. They did everything they they needed to do. They kept covering Mercedes. Just you know, if Hamilton pitted, well then Red Bull pitted. There was a bit of a jeopardy in the middle when they put some medium tires on Hamilton and said, "Well, you're going to the end on these." <laughs> whereas Red Bull put hard tires on on Verstappen. And yep. I, I was like, "Well, uh, to be honest, I don't really know how this works for for Mercedes when they put on the the medium tires because." 
they're going to be good for 15 laps or so, but there was 30 laps to the very end of the race and they're going to fall off at some point. And to be fair, mm. they did eventually fall off. Yep. Um, so it was Mercedes trying anything they could. They got that fastest point. So now we are in the a situation where it was Hamilton three points ahead of Verstappen. Well, Verstappen won that race, giving him four more points than Hamilton. But then Hamilton got the fastest lap after taking it off his teammate. <laughs> that was entertaining. <laughs> so it's now swapped. We are three and three. Three points ahead is Verstappen now. And yeah, we waited and waited because Spa was a bit of a letdown. But oh, yeah. no, yeah. this was so good. What do you think, Tom? Was it was it a bit boring for you? Yeah, I, I can't really add too much than what you've said, Tristan, to be honest. I was really impressed by uh, the first Dutch Grand Prix in so long. I thought really, you know, while Mercedes were, you know, at a disadvantage by being uh, second and third, there was always a bit of doubt, creeping doubt in my mind that because, once again, uh, the Red Bull teammate was not there with the sap and trying to cover him off, the sort of numbers game of two versus one could um, could get Verstappen with the whole push and pull uh, technique in terms of, you know, pitting early, which Hamilton did, and then Bottas going long. But no, I think from the start, really, Verstappen was in a class of his own. He had an excellent start. Bottas, characteristically, had a uh, had a very poor one. And yeah, Hamilton, he did try his best, but he was chewing through those tyres pretty quickly. I think uh, more than he'd definitely have liked to, as we heard from the team radio. And um, yes, it shows that, you know, when all the stars align and there's no huge crashes, uh, Max Verstappen and that Red Bull car is a serious force to be reckoned with. And um, yeah, with the with the home crowd there as well, I think that probably G'd him up a bit more to, you know, uh, make amends, shall we say, for the lack of points in the last few races, uh, discounting, of course, Spa, uh, irrespective of whose fault it was as to why that happened. But yeah, I mean, Gasly, an incredible performance, getting fourth and then keeping it as well. You mentioned Alonso Perez, you know, had an awful quality starting from the pit lane but then getting into the points for me dispels any rumours that this circuit is one where you quote can't overtake and I suppose this kind of links a bit to what we'll go into in terms of um, where drivers will be next year but Giovinazzi really sort of raced the seat off the Alfa Romeo and getting it to seventh and then it fell to 14th so um yeah, big, big yikes for him. But um, I was impressed. It was a good way to get back into Formula One. And now I'm just excited for the next race at Monza. So um, bring it on, honestly. Bring it on. Where did it all go wrong for McLaren, though? Because mm. the, the end result was Norris in 10th and Ricardo in 11th. And Ricardo had the pace during the weekend, yes. which was really great to see, actually, from a, a, a Ricardo fan perspective. He's been a little bit off in the season. And he had some a great pace and mm. halfway through the the team goes can you hold up the people behind you please because yeah we want norris to get you know further into the points and so he he let norris through he he held back the the people behind him and at the end of it he says right where where did norris come and they go 10th so he gave up mm. his point yeah for for a driver who who didn't actually perform at the weekend and I felt for Ricardo because the reality was this was not his fault I think no. he did he did great but uh, yeah what what do you think is is was it fair of them to to hold Ricardo back like that 
Well, I think it's one of those where Lando Norris, as we know, has had such a great start to this season. And I don't think going into the season there was a hierarchy in terms of a first driver and second driver. I think very much Ricardo was hired uh, to be an equal driver to Norris, or maybe even a slightly more senior one. But when you consider that he's so high up in the constructors now, he's well, only a few points uh, behind Bottas and then a few points ahead of Perez. I think it's one of those, similar to Mercedes, where it's just a point. It's just a single point, sure, but they want to be giving it to the driver who ultimately can do the most damage with that point. And, you know, looking where Ricardo is in the championship, he's ninth. You know, he's just ahead, or should I say by 10 points, of Alonso and 10 points behind uh, Sainz. Um, what's that, Sainz? No. Oh, Pierre Gasly, sorry. Um, but yes, when you consider that Norris has done so well and how far he is, I think strategy and team orders came into it but you know hard luck for Ricardo because on paper uh, that looks like a bad performance from him again but in reality he actually did quite a good job yeah he's, he, he, I think he did a good job and it's a shame that that McLaren was so far back in the points it just really wasn't their weekend for it it was and quite uncharacteristic honestly it was quite bizarre seeing them so far back and not at least in that sort of sixth place at the very least but uh can't win them all i guess no but that's why we're so used to seeing them and and mm. in, it was it was a bit of a trade really instead of having mclaren up there we had well we had alpine uh, in sixth um and pierre gasly in fourth so i i suppose if you mm. deduct the the surprises then you sort of they start creeping up the numbers a bit more and and clearly Perez in the Red Bull as well yep. he was so fast he was going to get past them uh, the, the Red Bull was just great at that track um mm-hmm. one thing I do want to mention is flares because oh, yeah. uh, they they you couldn't are, miss them could you you couldn't miss them and they set the side of the track on fire and it's it's irritating actually having this giant orange fog on on the track. I mean, I know you will love McLaren a lot, but seriously, the the that much orange just it just needs to be pushed back a bit. And they said please don't bring flares and and people were anyway. And and it, actually it's pretty irresponsible to be letting off flares and and bringing in that much smoke to the track side. It's not good definitely. for people to breathe yeah. in and it's definitely not good when drivers getting messages on the radio saying careful of the fog down there. So I think yeah. I think it needs to be addressed that they need they need to stop bringing in flares because it's mm. just getting ridiculous and it it's sort of the other thing is it's trying to be a bit of of the antithesis of the whole Dutch way right everyone arrived on bicycles we saw the amazing <laughs> bicycle jam yeah. so like twenty seven thousand people turned up by bicycle only five percent <laughs> by car there was no litter at, yep. at the end anyway. And then suddenly you have all that like great things. And then they're like, oh, yeah, let's just burn some orange stuff. <laughs> mm, <laughs> and it's like, yeah. well, come on, like mm-hmm. complete the mission and, and don't start ruining other people's day because you, you set up a flare. And mm-hmm. especially don't set the track side on fire. Pretty so- basic rule, isn't it? You know, <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I love seeing orange, but I'm not too sure about smelling it and tasting it, really. So um, <laughs> I think it's a pretty, pretty basic rule. But there we go. And um, and yes, you know, you've got to consider as well how delicate a Formula One car is, not to mention drivers visibility. You know, there's been times where we go to Azerbaijan to the Baku uh, circuit there and plastic bags, you know, getting in the way of uh, cars and getting stuck in a uh, in different areas can hamper that. Imagine what what all that sort of, you know, what essentially is dirty air going through the engine does, you know, in extremis, that could result in either a car underperforming in terms of uh, its pace, its uh, its ability to brake, and also, you know, in, as I say, could result in 
failure of the car, which, you know, is very extreme, unlikely, but um, it's just another element of the cocktail that you don't want to have in. It's, you, why take the risk? Because it's not that you can't have orange in a different way, as we yeah. see by the T-shirts, etc. <laughs> so, yes, let's move on to the big news. We're recording this on Tuesday and uh, just literally reacting to it. This is the news that George Russell will be partnering Lewis Hamilton at Mercedes from next season after Valtteri Bottas on Monday moved on a multi-year contract to Alfa Romeo. We kind of knew, or, you know, it's suspected that uh, Russell would get promoted, but um, now it's officially been confirmed. What are our thoughts, Tristan? Well, a big shout out to Liv and Angus for not being here when we're trying to discuss this. Of a all whole, the weeks. It's of been all the weeks. years, years <laughs> of discussing this very moment. Oh, I wonder if George Russell will get the seat. Oh, no, mm. it's still Bottas. We have been talking about this since, well, the dawn of this podcast. This has been years in the making and the one day it happens in fairness to them they are very busy it's mahindra's announcement day as well so liv is is working with a team and is incredibly busy herself but Mm -hmm. but still i can imagine her reaction of this is exciting, isn't this crap? George. So there you go. It's, it's like she's here in the room with us. Um, Liv Slipper. <laughs> I, I mean, it's the worst kept secret in Formula One that George Russell will be going to Mercedes. It, well, I found it hilarious when uh, Christian Horner goes up to, to Russell this weekend and goes, Congratulations on the deal. And he goes, Oh, what's top deal? tier my game, my games. <laughs> <laughs> What deal is that, Christian? Who could it be? Yeah, so uh, he's <laughs> he's been doing great in the sport and, and good on him as well. Uh, a little part of me is sad that Bottas is leaving, but in fairness, it's time he was top dog at, at a team. He's worked with mm. the, uh, the team principal of Alfa Romeo. In the past, I believe when he won GP3, uh, oh. but so that this is a man who 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 he knows, and I think at Alfa Romeo for and in this is in Bottas's words, more than three years, he'll really mm. be able to develop that car beyond its current spec and into the new regulations when they come in next year. So this is a great moment and. Don't discount Alfa Romeo as a team because yep. they have a lot of backing. They are supported by Ferrari. Mm. And j- just like how Williams was really good with the Mercedes engine, this could be a role reversal, right? These li- these lower division teams, when they have the backing from the right top dog in Formula One, suddenly get an, a, a pace advantage. So this is really good for him. But it's going to be a step backwards. But... George Russell has he's done his apprenticeship. He is he's proved over and over again that he can deliver. He got a podium, you know, this year. And yes, there was no real racing, but still you you can't take it away that he he has the pace. He's proven mm. last year when Lewis Hamilton got covid that he could beat Bottas. And there you go. That uh, the argument is always you look at how they do in the same you look at how people do in the same cars and then you find out how good they are and George Russell got into the car into the Mercedes car and beat Bottas so there you go mm. he is yep. better than Bottas by the the metric that we can use so yes that's that's really great and you know if I was George Russell I'd be over the moon it's his lifelong dream and even if Mercedes isn't all dominant next season it doesn't matter he's he's proven his point and he's going to be absolutely right for the team and on a, it is going to be really interesting to have yeah, a double, you know, a lineup of two drivers that 
have incredible pace and mm. one perhaps is is the past and the next one is looking to the future and George Russell is certainly going to be a driver to the future we have a lineup now of George Russell Lando Norris Charles yep. Leclerc that, that's amazing Generation Z baby <laughs> <laughs> like that's it, this is so good imagine if all three of them are competitive Mm. So yeah, Which they bottom... probably will be. To be fair, in some yeah, they too. they probably will. And mm. you know, I'm somewhat sad for Latifi because I suppose you you would always be sad when your driver gets promoted to that level. But yeah, you know, George Russell is absolutely de- deserves it, and I was so excited to see that. So that yeah. leaves a seat open for Williams. So Tom, yes, yes, who's well, going to take I... it? Who is going to take it? Well, there's been a lot of toing and froing, hasn't there, in terms of Red Bull and Mercedes' sphere of influences, shall we say. Um, Christian Horner says, we want Alex Albon in that seat. But let's remember, of course, Williams' engine provider is Mercedes. And Toto Wolff is saying, well, Nick de Vries, who's just won Formula E, is, I'd say, more deserving. So the question is now, who has control almost of, of the lower order teams or at least one of them because we now know in terms of Alfa Romeo they formerly had control over one of the seats i.e. they could put a Ferrari Academy driver into one of them hence Leclerc was there and now Giovinazzi but with that being relieved you've got of course Mercedes supplying three teams I believe uh, Red Bull having you know the second team Alfa Tauri although they say they're a sister but you know we know those links so what happens to that Williams seat if I was a betting man, I would say it's going to Nick De Vries. I think, you know, winning Formula E is absolutely massive. He's incredibly young as well. He's not sort of spoiled goods, if you will, which I kind of feel that Al- Albon is to an extent. Like, he's been around many teams and not really done it. And, you know, the power that Toto Wolff and Mercedes has is is massive when it comes to, to Williams. So I think that's the case. And I think going on to the uh, Alfa Romeo seat, because of course there's a second one, I don't think Giovinazzi will be there next year, owing to the change in terms of Alfa Romeo now having control of both seats. And I think that Albon will go to um, Alfa Romeo, which ain't half bad, because you're then out of what can be the sort of poison circle uh, or sphere of uh, of the Red Bull Academy, where you're just you know being given chances here and there. We know he's not going to be given a chance at Alpha uh, Tauri because they're keeping Sonoda, as the, the rumours said uh, previously. So it's a great chance for him to break out with a very competitive team. And I think getting Bottas in, a 32-year-old, getting Albon in as well, a young driver, is a real statement of intent for for Alpha Romeo because formerly. You could see they were constrained by the Ferrari links in terms of Giovinazzi being there because he was in the academy and nothing else in my view. And Raikkonen enjoying it because it's a hobby, but not really, you know, wanting anything more than a comfy seat to drive a car in. So I, I'm really impressed. If if this is true, if Giovinazzi goes and that Albon or Nick De Vries indeed goes there, then I'm going to be, you know, pretty darn impressed with Alfa Romeo. And, you know, going back to what Angus said a few episodes ago, saying they had a point to prove, well, maybe they're just proving it now. Yeah, I think they. I I do think they they do have a point to prove. They, to some extent, they have been near the back of the pack, and actually, mm. they have a a good support behind them in in the shape of Ferrari. So, I think they are one to watch going going forward. I, I suppose it's it's a, it's always a bit odd in Formula One because we we always have to have someone at the back, yeah, and. What we don't like to see is the same teams at the back. You know, it's not nice to see Williams and uh, Haas at mm. the back. 
and to some extent the the teams have it they, they put it upon themselves Haas for example has sort of been mismanaged for a while they have a teeny tiny budget mm. and they don't have a particularly confident uh, driver lineup that can push the, the the cars to the edge and I think we're really seeing that this year especially with uh, the well the old guard leaving and I yeah I think people were too quick to, to criticize people like Grosjean who were really pushing the Haas to, to its limits and that's why he spun a lot I think um, mm. so yeah I, I don't like the fact that we always see Haas or Williams at the back or Alfa Romeo so what what, what we want to see is these these teams pick themselves up and get to the point where they're competing to get to the middle and mm. you know one week it might be Haas at the back and then another week it might be Aston Martin or whatever so there is always going to be this, this situation play out and mm. unfortunately it doesn't really work out like that so I think I think Alfa Romeo are looking at themselves and thinking we can't stay at, stay at the back, and they definitely were at the back last year because of the engine problems. But Ferrari's picked themselves up, um, and Alfa Romeo has been moving forward a little bit. I mean, th- their results over the over the last few few races have demonstrated that they've been in the points a little bit, and they're also not dead last at the back. So they are they are pushing themselves forward, and they are developing at the same pace as Ferrari. So yeah, they've absolutely got something to prove. And with a lineup, well, as you say, I mean, if 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 with someone like Alex Albon and you know someone like Bottas, that's a pretty strong lineup, I think. Um, but yeah. I I would like Albon to to go to Williams. I think I think that would be a good move for him. Yeah. Uh, I see Williams making strides forward and not being at the back for well, for, for hopefully for too much longer. Uh, I I like to see them as. McLaren 2.0 because they, you know, McLaren were at the back for for a long time with their yeah. terrible chassis and their poor Honda engine. So it's just a matter of time. So mm. yeah, Williams, I I I kind of see where where Toto is coming from, saying, well, we don't want Albon to be locked into a contract with Red Bull because that that protects Red Bull as well. You have to remember that this this partnership between Albon and Red Bull means Albon isn't really allowed to discuss things like engine performance, setups yeah. and divulge the information that he knows and that's one of the things that is is key to drivers uh, successes is being able to apply their logic at one team and move it over to another so that's one of the things we, we can't discount from Bottas moving away from Mercedes, he's going to take that plethora of knowledge with him and True. be able to give it to whoever he goes to. So yeah, Albon at Williams could do the same thing with the uh, with the Red Bull knowledge, or maybe as you say, Alfa Romeo. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And sort of going back to the new Mercedes duo, you've got two British drivers there uh, now, first time in its history, I believe. But I've seen a lot of sort of jokes and memes about ah, George Russell is going to be Bottas 2.0. Are you convinced by that? Do you think he's going to be another Bottas or is there going to be a change of dynamic looking at the changes in terms of Hamilton coming towards the end of his career and George Russell just being at the start of his? Well, what 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 is a Bottas 2.0? Because if, if I had to define it, I would say that a Bottas 2.0 is a bloody fast driver. Bottas himself is a... Is a Let's say the original Bottas, like the word is original, before you get the re- that reference out there. The um, the ready salted Bottas is a dry. He, he's fast. He just can't quite keep up with with Hamilton pace, and 
I don't know. I don't. I think any driver who who gets into the seat, therefore, and can't quite compete with with Hamilton is technically a Bottas. We had a stint in the la- uh, last season where we we got introduced to Ham Verbot. Indeed. <laughs> um, the Let's Hamilton one, Verstappen two, Bottas three. So, given that the Bottas is just not winning to Hamilton and you know, being fast but not quite there, Verstappen at one point was the Bottas of the Formula One paddock, right? Mm. <laughs> Where you mm. expand it out. So, yes, there is the danger that Russell might jump into the Mercedes and be two tenths down from Hamilton. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I didn't exactly mean in terms of pace. I meant in terms of, you know, Bottas, as we know, was brought in very much as a sort of, you know, uh, fill the gap type driver after Rosberg decided enough was enough after winning the uh, the Drivers' Championship. And, you know, I think Toto, Wolf and Co. have been quite honest about that. It's quite transparent to see. Lest we forget, Valtteri, this is James. Please slow down. But now <laughs> you've got... to the fastest lap. <laughs> Exactly, last week. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I mean, it's clear to see for everyone. But when you have someone like Bottas, who's clearly there as the second driver to fill that gap, versus George Russell, 23 years old, he's talked about so highly by everybody at Mercedes. In my view, I don't think Mercedes can afford to get on the radio too much of George Russell and say, Russell, you need to slow down because... Ultimately, they've by selecting him, they've shown that Russell is the successor of Lewis Hamilton, and that ultimately he needs to be given the chance, you know, to an extent, to spread his wings into into go for race wins, which I think I think he will be. To be fair, which would be excellent to see. Of course, Hamilton's not going to be enjoying that, but I think the days really of you know a clear one and two uh, are gone, and we may see a relationship now. I hope for Hamilton's sake it doesn't transpire as such. But one where you've got Leclerc and Vettel, you know, Leclerc is the successor to Vettel, arguably his sort of uh, his his ascendancy to the, the first seat, I would argue, of Ferrari was hastened by Vettel's demise in that car, at least. But it's going to be a dynamic, I think, where it's going to be a bit of tit for tat in terms of it won't just be the Lewis Hamilton show, you know, Lewis Hamilton F1 team. Because they don't want to annoy George Russell, as I say, and it's a fine balancing act. It could get could get very tasty in the uh, Mercedes Mercedes uh, garages. Yeah, you you are correct in that Bottas was brought in to do one thing, and that's to secure the world championships for Mercedes. And let's not forget that if Bottas if Mercedes win this year, Bottas will be will have the honor of of winning every single world championship that he yeah. is part of the team for that's mm, five, years. five years yeah yeah <laughs> and that's not something to to dismiss yes he never won a world championship crikey mercedes owe him a lot and yeah it is sad when james get got onto the radio and said bottas is james please abort the fastest lap because what he actually means is Bottas, we changed your tyres so that you wouldn't break down. Now will you let your teammate get the extra <laughs> point because we want him to win this? And mm-hmm. <laughs> that's yeah. that's what they meant. But it, it, they're not doing that with Russell. I think they're looking at Russell as the next generation. And going into next season, it isn't going to be the Hamilton show because it can't be the Hamilton show. There is going to be open competition between them. Exactly. It will be exactly. fought in the qualifying, Mr. Saturday, and fought mm. on the racetrack. And there will be conversations between them that says, 
do not hit each other. You know, that's a no-no. And mm. they know this. But we saw from Russell over the course of this season that he's willing to, to, to race. Just think also back to Mercedes, the, you know, the Mercedes experience that Russell got when he yep. overtook Bottas and, you know, twice, once at the yes. start of the race in Bahrain and then in the middle. There was clearly a conversation that happened at Mercedes where they said, we're going to let you race. And mm-hmm. so they're going to say the same thing again. I think part of the problem with Rosberg and Hamilton was it got to the point where they would do anything to overtake yeah. each other and really yeah. take each other out. And there is a level of, of I think, that a level of respect maybe that could be built in the team that means that they won't do that. A bit like how this in this race, in the, last, in the Dutch Grand Prix, Verstappen... And Hamilton were, were fighting, clearly, for on strategy and whatnot. But it was all a bit calmer than in, yep. in Silverstone. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so there is always going to be these these you know, this bubbling up of, of, of aggression because that's how it works. But there, I think I think they're not they haven't brought Russell in just to be a a, a number two, a wingman. I yeah. think they brought him in as a next generation and just to continue winning world championships and to be fair if if that means russell overtakes hamilton and takes first or can perform at a level that that secures them points i don't think that mercedes really care at the moment mm-hmm. and so we'll, we will just have to wait and see with this one but i don't think russell's going to sit there and and take that sort of thing lightly he's going to want to fight for this because he's got you know, youth on his side, and he's going to be in maybe the fastest car next year. And this yep. is, of course, all assuming that Mercedes is the fastest car next year. That isn't a guarantee. Mm-hmm. But no, absolutely. I mean, he's a driver who's been in Formula One at Williams for three years. You know, he's been yearning for this opportunity and executed it very much so, uh, as much as he could anyway. It's a it's Bahrain, and it's one of those where he's got so much potential. You know, scoring points in Hungary, getting second at Spa, albeit you know different conditions but still two points finishes shows the world that uh, George Russell can be a world champion and can ultimately beat Lewis Hamilton on his day the most interesting thing now for me is that uh, Mercedes you've got sort of more open competition than previously then looking let's say at um, uh, Ferrari and Red Bull you've clearly got two teams that are built towards one driver and one driver winning. Less so, I'd say, with Ferrari, but it's quite clear that there's a tiered system between the first driver and the second driver. And it'll be very interesting to see you know, what will happen in terms of how each uh, sort of setup and hierarchy will affect each team. There's no guarantee, as you say, that Mercedes will uh, be the fastest car, but I think it's fair to say that they will be up there and competing for podiums. So... It begs, you know, remains to be seen, and it's very exciting to see which team strategy and which sort of game plan for the season will will win out. Because I think, you know, of course, adding McLaren into that mix, it's going to be one of those four teams, unless something really radical happens, that's going to be winning Grand Prix and will win the constructors. And very exciting, very yes. exciting. We've got we've got a mystery season next year, and. It's been too long since we had one of those. It was supposed to be this year, let's not forget, that the new mm. mm-hmm. regulations came in. Although I would like to criticise past me because <laughs> I, I did say, ah, oh, it's going to be a continuation of 2020 and no one Same. wants to see that, but apparently not. And hey, it's the 
It's the Italian Grand Prix this weekend at Monza. And I don't know who's going to win. It's going to be a, a fight to the end, I think. I think I really hope we get to see something dramatic like we did a couple of years ago. So only time will tell how the rest of this season is going to turn out. But with all the excitement this week, I think we've got some really great Formula 1 to look forward to in the in the short term and, and the long term. Um, and yeah, I, I, although I was a bit sad that Bottas is finally being kicked out of Mercedes. Yes. I think that the future of, of the sport is in some very strong hands here. Mm-hmm. And we have some excellent up-and-coming drivers. I mean, Mazepin, oh. <laughs> what a driver no. I mean someone like Mick Schumacher must be absolutely raging seeing everybody up there is like oh, just you wait just you wait till I'm given my chance but uh, then again like you know if Leclerc's still there he's not going to go oh yes sorry you're the son of uh, Michael Schumacher I'll just be the second driver then okay that's fine um, but yeah Monza coming up next and lest we forget the last uh, Monza race in 2020 saw one Pierre Gasly win uh, Sainz come second a Lance Stroll in third, Norris in fourth, and Bottas in fifth. So yes, we really don't know what the strongest car is there, because I remember that being one hell of a race in terms of DNFs, in terms of pit strategy, in terms of everything that went on. Of course, Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc uh, DNF'd in that, in that race, as well as uh, Kevin Magnussen, for those who remember him, and um, Seb Vettel. So anything could happen. That should probably be the title of this episode. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. And so ends episode 20 of F1 in Review. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of this one. It's been an incredibly exciting one in terms of what we discussed and what could happen moving forwards. In terms of moving forwards, we're going to Monza next on the 12th of September, if only we actually were, but Formula One is at least. And we're going to that race with a full um, head of expectation thinking anyone could win. Literally, looking at last year, anybody could win. Until next time, thank you very much for listening. Oh, Tom, I'll take you to Monza one day.